This is LifeSpeak, a podcast about well-being, mental health, and building resilience through knowledge. Here's Marianne Weisenthal. I'm speaking today with Jenny Triansky. Jenny is a certified professional coach who works with individuals, employees, and teams, helping them overcome personal and professional challenges, including things like imposter syndrome and self-doubt. Jenny is speaking to me today from her practice in Toronto, Canada. Welcome to the LifeSpeak podcast. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. Imposter syndrome is a bit of a, a, a buzzword these days. Um, we're hearing about it a lot. What is it and why are so many people walking around feeling this way? Imposter syndrome is actually a lot more common than we think. I think all of us or most of us have have experienced it at one point in our lives. And honestly, it's that feeling that I've somehow managed to pull the wool over everybody's eyes. I fooled them all. And at some point, uh, they're all going to find me out that I'm not as smart as I appear. I'm not as confident as I appear. Um, that I don't really belong in this job, that I don't really belong in the life that I'm living. Um, and obviously it's not true, but it feels like truth. It feels like our truth when it when it's so powerful inside of our heads and inside of our experience. I want to talk a a bit about you and your work as a professional coach, Um, you know, dealing with working with people who are tackling imposter syndrome and inner critic. How is the work that you do different from a counselor or therapist? So I call myself a personal development coach, but my work focuses on the whole person. So it's personal and professional, all the all the aspects of that make up a life because it's all interconnected and we touch on all of it in coaching because ultimately it's about the person, right? The human being and how they want to grow and increase their life fulfillment and their satisfaction in their life. The inner critic is a big blockage for a lot of us. It gets in our way of the life that we really want to live. So coaching really focuses on supporting a person through their personal and professional growth whereas therapy and counseling are more based in mental health support. And of course, there are areas that cross over, but there is a really big difference in the dynamic between the coach and the client, so the relationship. Coaching is a partnership, so we get to co-create strategies and tools and structures together, client and coach. It's very collaborative. It can be very creative, especially co-active coaching, which is my training. I am a, a certified professional co-active coach. Whereas in therapy, it's typically more of an expert client dynamic. It has a very different feel to it. And I have clients who are therapists themselves, and I've asked them to describe, I'm always curious to hear from them from their lens, you know, what coaching is to them and how it differs. And one of my clients, um, who's a social worker, said that, you know, coaching gave her the confidence to solidify and go after her life goals and ambitions and vision the life that she wanted and find strategies and tools to get there. So, and in her words, coaching um, is perfect for people who are ready to connect and align with their life's purpose and to live a more fulfilling life. So it's not that therapy doesn't help people do that as well. It's just a very different way. It's a very different focus. It's very active. It's very forward-looking. It really looks at who are you right now and where are you going, as opposed to really digging into the details of the past. So it sounds like there's times when, when a, you know, a mental health therapy and a coaching could go hand in hand, uh, meaning you could be working with both at the same time and that might be beneficial for you. And then there may be times when 
you know, what, what is beneficial for, for you at the particular stage of your life is to work with a coach. Absolutely. I have many clients who have been through therapy in the past and are ready for coaching um, now. And I also have clients who are working with both therapist and coach at the same time. And it can be a beautiful synergy to have that support, different kinds of support to really help you move forward in a fulsome way. They work so well together and yet they feel very different. So if you have somebody who comes to you and you are maybe in the middle of you know, a session with them and you feel that, you know, we're, you're stepping into an area that is perhaps not, is more mental health related. What do, what do you do in that case? Yeah. I'm really glad you're asking that question um, because it's an important one. And it's important for clients to know that a well-trained coach, a certified coach will know when it's time to refer their client to a mental health professional. So when something is outside of their scope and the great thing about the relationship between the coach and the client is that it's such a safe and open environment, um, or it should be at least that the coach and client, sometimes I have these discussions with my clients ongoing for some of my clients who struggle with anxiety, for instance, there is functional anxiety. And then there's anxiety that really leads more into the disordered spectrum. If I feel that one of my clients needs the mental health support that is really outside of my scope, we will have an open and honest conversation about, you know, whether we stop the coaching and they go to therapy or if they bring on a therapist to handle the mental health aspect as we continue our work together. So it's an important piece, especially nowadays, you know, in the current temperature of the world where people, people can be really struggling. It's important to check in and know when the mental health piece really needs to be addressed versus sort of the life fulfillment um, and personal development and growth. I'm going to come back to to your work specifically with clients, but I want to talk a little bit more about you. You, you um, had a very successful um, TV and media career, and then like what so many people do, you decided to pivot to coaching. Tell me how that happened. Honestly, I think if I could go in a time machine and tell the, my you know the myself of maybe even five or six years ago that this would be my path, I think I would have laughed. I mean, I just never would have believed it. I love my TV career. I really loved it. It was my passion. My identity was very tied to it for so many years. And but you know, inside, I always felt that I was meant to work in a helping field. I always connected very easily with people. I do have an innate gift of allowing people to feel very safe and to open up and feel very seen when they do and to help people sort of explore what's going on in there. But I, I told myself that I've missed the boat. You know, I chose differently. I chose a creative career. I, I was sort of stuck there. It didn't really seem like there were any other options for me. I was almost 40 years old. I had a 20, 20 year plus career in TV. So at the time it didn't feel like there were any other options. It was just like, miss the boat. But a couple of years ago, I found myself in a place where I was feeling very misaligned, very stuck. I felt like I had lost myself. And uh, something was missing for me. And I didn't know how to rationalize that. I didn't know what to do with that. It didn't feel like there were any options for me. I didn't even realize that it was connected to work necessarily. I just, as a whole human, I felt very off balance. And I worked with a coach that I had met um, at an event and I really didn't know what to expect, but she helped me get clear on my values 
on my gifts, on what was possible. And honestly, it made me realize that my work didn't align with my values anymore. That in itself was enough to sort of like, I mean, it, honestly, it kind of sent me into a little bit of a, it felt like a depression. It felt like my whole world was spinning out of control because I wasn't expecting that. But for, for someone like me, my work is very meaningful to me. And in my TV career, it really did feel like that. The storytelling aspect of it, the collaboration and working with people, it was always very meaningful to me. And somehow all of a sudden that the meaning was gone. And I'm a person that needs to have meaning in my life. It almost felt at that point, like there was no other choice. I had to find a way to do something different and give myself a chance to see if I could make a career um, out of a helping profession. As you know, I was a TV producer too. For many, many years, it's, it's a very ego-driven industry to be in, and it really does make up your identity. I struggled with it too when I made that shift to doing something other than television production. I can really relate to that. Yeah, I mean, this, this question of who am I, we don't ask it very often. Right. We sort of just like we go about our life. And even in TV, people people would tell me, well, you're just so good at it. You're so good at it. And then you just sort of accept that, you know, and then you climb a ladder and you, you believe it. You believe this is who I am. But when we separate ourselves from who am I versus what do I do? So who do I be versus what do I do? That's a really good question to ask, you know, and for me, when I looked at the question of who am I at the time, it felt like wait, it can't just be I'm a TV executive or I'm a TV producer or even just I'm a creative. I knew that there was something much deeper to the who am I and what, what are my gifts? What is my impact in the world? Why has tackling your inner critic, which is a big part of the work you do, not all of it, but a big part, why has it been, has it been such a focus of your work? There's a two-part answer to that question. And the first, the first one is, you know, in my first year of coaching, I loved what I was doing so much. I was just like, I'm going to coach everybody. I'm just, I'm just going to coach anybody who comes my way. Um, and I had so many amazing clients in that first year. It took me a while to find the commonality between them. It wasn't, it wasn't men versus women. It was both. It wasn't the age that they, that they were. It wasn't the life stages that they were in. It wasn't what they did for a living. And I, so I really had to sit down and look at what is common here between all the people who are sort of drawn to working with me. And I realized it, it was really cool the day it hit me. These are all driven people with loud inner critics. And when I realized that it was like a light bulb went off because that's who I am, you know? And that's who I had always been, even in my TV career. And I couldn't name that, but I could see it so clearly. And that is the truth with my, the clients who tend to gravitate towards working with me are very self-aware people. They are driven, they have, goals and vision for their lives. Some of them are stay-at-home moms. So I'm not even talking necessarily about like, you know, they're professionals who are just driving themselves um, to climb a ladder. No, it's people who are deep souls. They are driven to live a life of meaning and they have loud inner critics. And honestly, I, ha I have one of the loudest. And I say it in present tense because the goal is not to eliminate that part of yourself. I believe that that is not realistic at all. The goal is to start to understand that part of yourself, understand the impact, understand what triggers it, understand how it's showing up, how it's getting in your way, 
and then to start to diminish the strength of it and find that other part of yourself, which we all have, which is our inner strength, our inner wisdom, the place that's, that holds all of our values and our vision for living a fulfilling life and to start making your choices from that place. How do you manage that inner critic? How do you work with clients to do that? I, I actually really love the term working with. And so I have a workshop that I do called Working With Your Inner Critic to Live and Lead with Confidence because I believe it is a work with. Again, it's not about eliminating it. It's about catching it when it pops up. So hearing it, seeing it, getting so familiar with it, which is what I do in my work with clients, that we start to almost get to know it like a friend instead of an enemy. We get to know it like a friend who is just a little bit misguided. Once you get to know it that well, and you can really have the awareness about how and where it's showing up in your life, you can catch it. You can take that pause. You can recognize what your autopilot response is, right? Because so many of us are going through life just sort of living on autopilot. And coaching helps you kind of like take a really good look in the mirror and, you know, be called on some of those autopilot responses to life and recognize that you can choose differently, right? Making conscious choices, recognizing that you actually have the power to doubt your doubts. I never knew that before. Can you give me an example of a moment where a client or maybe even yourself has been faced with their inner critic talking to them in a, in a certain scenario and what you advise people to do in that moment? Yes, absolutely. I have so many examples. Um, everything from like, you know, the very small moments in life that actually are very meaningful, um, to the big ones. And I'm going to give you a bigger one because it just came up last week with a client. Um, I have a client who, um, she's a woman who is very successful, very smart, highly skilled, who was just offered a new job and a job that this person um, recognizes or calls a dream job, right? Like an actual dream job. And their inner critic got so loud when the offer was sent to them, right? When it became real, that all of a sudden, the focus from the dream really came to this oppressive place of, oh my God, I don't know if I'm good enough to say yes to this job. I I just found out who the other candidate was and they're smarter than me. They're more impressive than me. The imposter syndrome became so loud, um, so big in this person's experience that they were actually considering not taking the job. The first step was letting their inner critic parts speak for a moment, like giving it a second to actually be there. So having them say out loud, what are the fears? What's coming up for you? What are you telling yourself, right? And it was a lot of like, I'm not going to perform the way that they expect me to. I am not smart enough to take this job. I don't have enough confidence to show up the way that I believe I should be showing up in this job. Sometimes even just the first step of allowing you to speak from that inner critic place, like what is it telling you? Sometimes that in itself takes away the strength because you can see it outside of yourself and then you can start to question it. We can't start to question something. We can't question something that we don't see right? We can't fight an enemy that we're, that we can't see. So allowing yourself to be honest about what you're telling yourself helps you take a step back. And then we can start to ask the questions of like, okay, what's actually true here? What's true? And what are you making up? 
what assumptions are you making about the situation? What's coming from a place of fear and what's coming from a place of truth? And then once we can kind of be honest about that, then as a coach, I help my clients connect back to their voice of inner wisdom, to their values, to their dreams, to what is fulfilling to them, to what matters most to them. And usually when we do that work, a different voice starts to emerge. The voice that believes in them, the voice that knows what they're capable of, the voice that knows their resilience, their story of resilience. We can look back at the history of where they've succeeded in their life and use that as evidence. It's almost like building a a case of counter evidence against the inner critic. So this is something that anybody can do. I mean, you know, working with a coach is a wonderful thing. But if someone's listening right now and they, you know, are in a situation where their inner critic is, is speaking to them, you know, in a, in a, in a cruel way, because I feel like my inner critic's just really cruel, you know, in that moment, what can somebody do? Can they kind of almost write down a, a, a pros and cons list? What, what would you recommend? Yes. There's so many different techniques that, that you, that I recommend. I mean, one of them really is, it's not even necessarily writing down pros and cons. I actually encourage people to write down, make a case, have the inner critic have its moment. Again, writing down all of those thoughts that are coming from that inner critic voice, from that voice of fear and oppression. I find the, the energy of that inner critic is it's very mean. It can be cruel. It's, it's oppressive. So getting all those thoughts out of you, because they're already in your head, right? And they are, they're sort of like beating you up in your, in your brain. So getting them out of you, having a place to put them down. So writing them down, right? I am, I am telling myself that I am not good enough. I'm telling myself that I'm going to fail. I am telling myself that I'm not smart enough or I don't have enough confidence, right? So just writing those things down or that I'm, you know, I'm not enough of something or that I'm too much of something to be able to succeed. So writing those down to get them out of you. And then asking yourself the question of what really matters to me, what really matters to me. And then looking back at where have I succeeded in the past? What are my wins? What are my strengths? Sometimes people sometimes really find it hard to do that. And if you do find it hard, ask the people around you, ask your colleagues, ask the people who love you, ask the people who champion you, who believe in you, ask them what they see in you, ask them to reflect back to you what they see as being your strengths and your wins. And then you have to write those things down. You have to build a case against the inner critic. That's how you can doubt your doubts. You start to, you start to see what's actually true, not what you're making up about what's true. That's one technique. But honestly, the antidote to self-criticism is self-compassion. And self-compassion is another really important framework that I bring into my work and that has had such a big impact on me and on my life and on my ability to work with my inner critic. I honestly did not know in my past life, I was a perfectionist. I I was living my life feeling very tight all the time. I really believe that I needed to beat myself up to be better. And I had no idea that I was allowed to doubt my doubts and to talk to myself and treat myself like I would treat someone that I love. I like that sounds so basic. I think a lot of people struggle with that. Absolutely. I walk people through a visualization in one of my workshops that has them connect to their voice of inner criticism and then also connect to the, the voice of compassion that they would give to a loved one. And I can't tell you how many times I've had people 
say to me after the fact, that's the first time I have really recognized how mean I talk to myself, how much I tear myself down versus how kind I am with others, mm. how I build other people up. Can, can an inner critic ever be a good thing? Like, is it, is it sometimes just sort of the kick in the pants that maybe we need in our lives? I'm so happy that you're asking that question because I get asked that question at the end of my inner critic workshop so many times over um, because high achievers, right? Driven people, high achievers, they're motivated, right? And a lot of people do believe that, but I need that inner critic part. It, it is the kick in the pants that motivates me towards my goals. But guess what? There is actual research that indicates that self-compassion is better for our well-being and a more effective motivator than fear. Okay. So it's the difference between, it's not about letting yourself off the hook, right? It's not about being so compassionate with yourself that you say, it's okay that we're, we're just moving away or getting in the way of our goals. It's about, it's the difference between pushing yourself with a negative oppressive energy, which is the inner critic and nurturing yourself, motivating yourself with the deeper meaningful why behind you that is a powerful, positive energy. So it's the difference between pushing versus nurturing. So with self-compassion, with inner wisdom, you are nurturing yourself towards your goals. You're motivating yourself um, and you, you know, you're still putting structures in place to have self-discipline to reach your goals, but you're not beating yourself up and pushing yourself in a fear-based energy. We're in the middle of a global pandemic and these are you know, such difficult times for so many people. What are you hearing that your clients are struggling with right now? I, I hear a lot of people are really just kind of at the point where they're hitting the wall and, and a word I've been hearing a lot is languishing. What are, what are your clients telling you? Yeah, I, I actually just did, um, I facilitated two sharing circles, mindful release support circles on the weekend for women. And that word languishing came up. And another word that came up was immobilization. Mm. So a lot of people connected to that. Yes, that's how I feel. I feel immobilized. I feel just sort of like, like I'm lying on the floor and I can't get up and I just can't move. And I know a lot of people are feeling that way these days. So I have clients all across the spectrum right now through pandemic times. I've got people who are, feel like they're really struggling. They are really struggling with putting boundaries in place or the lack of boundaries between home and work. That's been a really big struggle for a lot of people. Struggling with, uh, you know, again, feeling unmotivated, feel it, a loss of hope because they just cannot get a clear picture of the future, right? It's never felt more like people don't, you know, that, that we have no control over the future. It feels very uncertain. I mean, the truth is we never really have control. We think we do um, and we don't, but these days people really feel like I, if I can't even vision what the future looks like, where does that leave me here? So that's a big struggle for people. And I will say, I have, I, I have some clients who are really thriving through this time as well. It really depends on your life stage, um, your circumstances at home, your circumstances at work. You know, I have some clients who are um, lucky enough to have very stable jobs. Some of the changes to their life in pandemic times have actually really opened up opportunities for them. Some people are finding that the there's more fluidity in their lives between you know work and personal, and that's really working for them. Whereas 
like I said, you know, there's other people who are really struggling with that lack of boundaries. And there's some people who go up and down like a roller coaster between moments of thriving and moments of really um, suffering. And I will say I'm in that camp. Over the last year, I have really been on this up and down roller coaster, you know, of sort of really having to switch between my role as a parent and showing up for my daughter, um, my role as as a coach and a business owner now, you know, as somebody who's self-employed and and trying to keep a business above ground um, during the global pandemic um, and, and all the other roles that we play, right? I have, I have a father who has been ill um, on and off through, throughout the pandemic, so supporting them. There's a lot of people are struggling with how do I support others in my life when I feel like I can't even support myself? So that's, you know, that's another big piece that a lot of us are struggling with. And so the answers are not easy. They're not straightforward. What I feel is very important to message right now is allowing ourselves the grace to recognize that we're human. That struggle is part of life, right? None of us are immune from struggle. And especially right now, it makes sense that a lot of us are, have challenges. We do. Life is more challenging right now. And so allowing ourselves to be okay with that, right? To accept that. It doesn't mean we have to like it. We might hate it, but just to accept that, you know what? I'm struggling right now. Things are harder than they ever have been. And that's okay. Like I'm not going to oppress myself with the same kinds of pressures that I, I've always put on myself because I need, we all need a little bit of grace, a little bit of space and loads of self-compassion right now. I've read some of your writing and you you've talked about practicing gratitude, but you say that you think that gratefulness is more beneficial than gratitude at times like this. Can you tell me a bit about that? Yeah. Gratitude is beautiful, right? It, it really is. When we are feeling grateful, it's hard to focus on what's not good and what's not working in our lives. So gratitude is a beautiful thing to welcome into your life. Um, but gratitude is typically focused on being thankful, like finding things that you're thankful for. And these days, sometimes it can be hard for people to grasp those things, you know, um, because there is so much struggle and there are so many things that are, again, more challenging now than they ever were. So gratefulness is about looking at your life as it is and asking yourself without adding anything more, what's already enough? What's here? How am I, how am I sufficient? It's about noticing the enoughness in your life right now, instead of having to look for, oh, I'm so grateful that I got this or that I, you know, I achieved this or that somebody gave this to me. It's more about what is already here? What is already good? What is already working? How is my life already so full? I love that word gratefulness because it speaks to the gratefulness of life. Mm. And I connect to that a lot. I remind myself of that. Oh yeah, the gratefulness of life. How is my life already full right now? You know, and it helped that in itself helps me savor the smaller little moments of fullness and joy that we sometimes take for granted. Which is kind of all we have right now in, in this really difficult time that we're all experiencing all over the world. 
we don't have travel. We, we often don't even have loved ones that we can spend time with. Some people aren't seeing anybody um, and living alone. It's really just those little small things, you know, a nice cup of tea, a warm bed, maybe a good conversation you had with somebody on a video chat. It just, be, everything's kind of, I find for myself, just gotten much, much smaller. Mm-hmm. It still is full, but it's smaller. Absolutely. And there's an opportunity in that, right? If we can zoom in on those very micro small moments um, and small joys that are in our life right now, those were always there. But this is a bit of an opportunity to zoom in on them, to savor them, to lean into them even further, right? So for me, it, you know, over the last year, I have a very active seven-year-old. I know that one of my most important duties as a mother is to get that kid outside, to get her energy moving. Um, And I have found that's been one of the greatest joys of my life during this pandemic is being out in my neighborhood with my child. We've noticed trees and plants and people's lawns and just all these little tiny things that I honestly never, I never noticed before. Like we're taking pleasure and joy in them. We're forming memories that are based in, you know, inside jokes and just sort of these fun little silly moments that are so small, right? Um, Because we just, we're not having the big adventures like we used to, but there is something so precious about having this opportunity to hone in and and zoom in on these very small moments that bring us joy. You work a lot with corporations, you know, who are right now trying to support their employees and, you know, trying to support them to lead with confidence. You know, what, what challenges are you hearing from employees right now? Yeah, I've done a lot of corporate workshops and seminars over the last year. And I'm hearing over and over again that people are struggling. Employees are struggling again with those blurred lines between work and home, right? The workloads still feel overwhelming for many people. Um, People are still feeling stretched and exhausted as ever. Um, And there's the extra challenges that, uh, that people are facing in their, in their personal lives because of the pandemic. And so that is a really big struggle for people. And there, again, there's no easy answers, right? So there's a lot of people struggling with burnout, um, lack of motivation, lack of engagement, right? Um, There's a lot of people feeling like more than ever, they have to prove that they're working or working hard um, or making up for the fact that they're at home. Right. So where some people are finding that ease um, because they're at home, other people are feeling a lot of pressure, like they have to perform and sort of really prove to their employers that they are working hard and not slacking off. Although I would guess that many of us are not slacking off. We're just doing what we can to survive. Um, A lot of people are finding it hard to put those boundaries in place. Um, The lack of childcare for parents is a huge one, of course. People are feeling like they're failing, right, at work and at home. And these are tough. These are real challenges that people are facing. Um, And I'm also hearing from employers that they are aware that their employees are struggling and they don't know how to help. So that's a really big consideration as well. Like employer, a lot of employers, they care. They want to support employees. And they don't necessarily know how. How do you think they should be supporting employees? Honestly, I think employers need to create spaces for employees to show up and be vulnerable and honest. 
And that includes the employers, right? The people in the positions of power, the leaders to get vulnerable and honest as well. I think that that is happening more. I'm hearing that from a lot of people. By the nature of how we're having to work right now, people are opening up more about what they're struggling with. But I think transparency is really important. So, you know, companies will hire me to go in and do workshops that address some of this stuff, that address boundary setting um, and self-care, true authentic self-care, even talking about imposter syndrome. I had a a very high profile company bring me in to talk to their employees about the inner critic and imposter syndrome. And by opening up the floor for people to have these conversations um, and be honest about what they're struggling with, I think that that's the first step. There's, I mean, obviously there's a lot of other There are a lot of other things in the system of work and workplaces that are contributing to the hardships right now. And um, again, there's no easy answers on how to fix that. But I really do think supporting employees, um, allowing safe spaces for people to be honest about what they're struggling with, that asking for help is okay. And in fact, it's actually welcomed that finding solutions together um, is appropriate and, and it's safe to do so. That's sort of like the first line, um, of support. What's making you feel hopeful and optimistic right now? You know, we're at a point in this pandemic where we actually have a lot of experience behind us. And sometimes we forget that. I was just talking to a client yesterday, actually about this, and we had her think back and put in her mind's eye the version of her from March, 2020, right? The her who was taking this all in for the first time, the news of a global pandemic and what this was going to mean and remembering how big and daunting and scary it all felt. I I know for me, when I think there's like a moment I can think back to where I thought, oh my God, if this goes on for six months, a year, how will I survive it? I don't know if I have it in me. I don't know if I have enough strength to get through this. This is really hard. And now we're at a point where I can look back and my client can look back and all of us can look back. We can see our resilience. We can look back on how we move through the year. And I guarantee for most of us, we can see where we felt like we were weak or we were so challenged that we, you know, I had moments where I felt like I just, I I can't do this anymore. And yet here, here we are, right? We got through it somehow. We continue to get through it. We continue to be resourceful. We continue to find creative solutions. Um, We continue to pivot. I know for me, I had to pivot the way that I was doing business and working with people. I had to create some new offerings on the fly when I was exhausted and also trying to parent my child at the same time. And when I can sit here now a year later and look back on that, I can see my wins. I can see my strengths. I can see my creativity. And I honestly think like that's what keeps me going, right? Having this, this history, this sense of my resilience that's what is giving me hope that we're going to get through this and that I'm going to get through this and that I'm going to continue to find, forge my way through. Certified professional coach, Jenny Triansky has been my guest today. Thank you so much, Jenny, for speaking with me. Thank you so much. I hope that, I hope there's some helpful nuggets in here for people to take away. For more about this episode, go to lifespeak.com slash podcast. A production of the Sound Off Media Company.